I know this is really surprising, but our sermon text for today is going to be from the Psalms. We're going to look at the 51st Psalm today, so if you're able, I'd ask you to please rise for the hearing of God's holy word again. And we read from Psalm 51 in Jesus' name. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity to have fellowship with one another. And Lord, be centered around word and sacrament. God, as we take a look at Psalm 51, I pray that you would show us our own sinfulness and need for a Savior. Lord, bring us again to repentance and point us to Christ and the forgiveness that he won on the cross. By your word, strengthen us, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed that when you read through the Psalms, some of the Psalms have a little description, a little prescript that comes before them? Some of these are, are pretty tame and say things like, this is a Psalm of David or of Solomon or even a Psalm of Moses. We've got one of those. Sometimes you get a little description of how the Psalm is supposed to be used. You might find something like, to the choir master for stringed instruments or maybe with flutes. But other times, as you read these little introductions, you read things that are really confusing and likely contain words that you have never seen anywhere else before. These introductions might say something like, to the Shemeneth, or to the Muthleben, or a Shigion of David, or a Mictum of David. Don't worry if none of those words make any sense to you, because they don't make any sense to me either. And... To be honest, they don't make sense to anyone anymore. Nobody really knows what most of those words mean any longer, and our best guess is that they probably have something to do with how they were to be used liturgically in the worship of the Old Testament church, or maybe as to what musical style they were supposed to be played in. I don't know if you're aware of this, but those little introductions, those prescripts in the Psalms, which are sometimes helpful and other times just confusing, they weren't a part of the original text. When David wrote Psalm 51, he didn't start out by writing to the choir master a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Instead, that was something that was added later by a scribe. These prescripts, these introductions, they weren't original to the text, but it also isn't as if the scribes were just making up stories about the psalms either. What the scribes ended up recording and writing down for us is 
things that were held by tradition for years and years and years. So even though we shouldn't consider these introductions to be on the same level as Holy Scripture, I, I still believe that they are something that can be trusted reliably. And if a, if a scribe said that this psalm was written by David after seeing the prophet Nathan, well, that's very likely what happened. And especially in the case of Psalm 51, when you know the context of what's happening in David's life at, this, at that time, this psalm begins to even make more sense. We hear about this part of King David's life in the book of 2 Samuel. It begins in chapter 11 and then continues on. As chapter 11 opens, we hear that it's the springtime of the year, and it's the time when the kings go out and make war. The nation of Israel is at war with the Ammonites during this period. Now, David should have been on the battlefield. He should have been leading his soldiers, but instead, he was staying at home in his palace. He was resting in luxury in Jerusalem while his soldiers were out on the battlefield. And that's problem number one that we have going on with King David there in 2 Samuel. David was shirking his duties as king. Then one afternoon, David decides he's going to head up on the roof. And David knows exactly what he's doing here. In 2 Samuel, it tells us that David saw a beautiful woman bathing. And David saw a beautiful woman bathing because that's what David went up there to see. And that's problem number two. David continues on in his sin by sending his servants to find out about this woman that he had seen. And he discovers that she is married, but her husband is off fighting the battle that David should be at. And so David has her brought to him so that he can sleep with her. This is all bad enough. The sins of King David are, are horrible, but things get much worse. You see, eventually Bathsheba would come back to David and let David know that she was pregnant. And rather than just dealing with the consequences of his sinful actions, David recall, recalls Bathsheba's husband Uriah and tries to get them to spend a night together so that he will believe the child is his. Now, when that fails, and David tries multiple ways, when that fails, David orders that Uriah be sent to the front lines and killed in battle so that his shame might not be known. You see, shirking his duties led to the sin of adultery with David's eyes. And that sin led to physical adultery. And then in trying to hide his sin, David commits murder, killing Uriah through other agents. One sin led to another until things spiraled out of control. After this has all happened, God sends a prophet to King David by the name of Nathan. And Nathan does what prophets do. He points out the sin of the king. And David, or Nathan does it in an interesting way by first telling a story about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man takes the one and only lamb that the poor man has. This is a beloved lamb and he takes it and he kills it and he feeds it to his guests. After this story, David's angry. He's enraged. He calls for restitution from the rich man and also for the rich man's death. And at this, Nathan points out that David is the rich man. Upon hearing this, David confesses his sins and Nathan proclaims the forgiveness of God. David's sins would still have earthly consequences, but his sins were forgiven. It's in the midst of this that David pens the words of Psalm 51. 
This psalm is, a, is David's confession of sin. It's his plea for mercy and grace from the Lord. And the first thing that strikes me about Psalm 51 is that David doesn't squirm at all. He doesn't try to wiggle away from his sin. He doesn't do what Adam and Eve did and pass the buck to the next person in line, laying the blame on them. Remember, Adam said, that woman that you gave me is the reason I ate. And Eve said it was the serpent's fault. David doesn't make comparisons between himself and others like the Pharisees often did. God, thank you that I am not like that sinner over there. And David doesn't remain silent like I did in my classroom. Instead, David just confesses his sin. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil what is in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in my iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David confesses not just that he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, which he certainly did, but he also confesses that the sins that he committed were ultimately sins committed against God himself. David says, ultimately, God, my sins were done against you. You are the one true and just judge, and you will judge in the end. David confesses not just the specific sins of his adultery, deception, and murder, but also his sinful state as a child of Adam and Eve. He professes that when he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, this is what our confessions should look like before the Lord. Now, granted, we we shouldn't wait for God to send a prophet specifically to us to point out our sins before we repent. Instead, we should hear about our sins from the mirror that is the Word of God. We should trust what God's Word says about us and then confess it before the Lord. But when we make those confessions of sin before God, this is how it should look. God, I have sinned not just against my neighbor, my my spouse, my children, or my parents, or whoever, but I have sinned against you alone, God. I am guilty, and not just because of this evil thing I did or this good thing I failed to do, but I am guilty because by nature after the fall I am sinful and unclean. We shouldn't spend time trying to deny our sins or trying to compare ourselves to others because none of those things make us look any better before the eyes of God. You see, we are guilty and we are in need of forgiveness and trying to pretend that we aren't well, it makes God a liar and the truth is not in us, as John says in 1 John chapter 1. You see, true repentance of our sins involves not just feeling bad about what we've done, but agreeing with what God has to say about us in Holy Scripture. That after the fall, we are sinful and unclean and we can't do a single thing to save ourselves from sin and its consequences. The next thing in this psalm that really strikes me that jumps out at me is the confidence that King David has as he asks God for mercy. In verse 7 he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Did you notice that? You see there's, there's no maybe in what David has to say here. He doesn't say if you purge me with hyssop I might be clean and if you wash me I might be a little less dirty. Instead No, he says, God, if you purge me, I will be clean. 
wash me and I won't even be as white as snow. I'll be whiter than that, which doesn't seem possible. You see, all of us in this part of the world have taken a walk on a bright winter day. And when we come back inside, we're blind because the snow was so bright and so white. But David confesses that he is going to be washed even whiter than that. You see, that's the confidence that David has. That if God chooses to wash away his sins, they will be truly gone. And this confidence, I think, comes from David appealing to God's steadfast love and abundant mercy, like he does in the first verses of this psalm. The steadfast love of God is the Hebrew word hesed. And that word hesed is it's a covenantal word, meaning it's a word that's connected with God's covenants and promises that he have made to his people. Promises like the one that he made to Adam and Eve that one day a seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. Or like the promises that were given to Abraham that one day his descendants would be a blessing to the entire world. And promises like God had even given to King David himself to one day raise up a king who would reign forever on his throne. You see, all three of those covenants, all three of those promises were promises to send a Messiah, to send Jesus Christ, to send someone who would one day overcome sin, death, and the devil. And David is appealing to the love of a God that is willing to make promises even with fallen people and a God that keeps everything he has promised. The last thing that David does in our sermon text, starting in verse 10, he asks for something that goes far beyond just the washing of his sins. He asks God to renew a right relationship between them. He says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, David doesn't just want to be forgiven and then go on living the same life he had been, sinning the same sins, doing the same wicked things. David wants to be a different person. And being a different person starts with having a restored relationship with God. It starts with being made new by God and given a new heart that desires God and doing his will. David wants things to be right between him and God, and he wants God to make him into the person he ought to be. This whole confession of King David from Psalm 51, it should be a model for us in our own confessions before God. We shouldn't dance around the fact that we're sinners. It's not like God is unaware of our sinfulness. He is fully aware that just like King David, we were conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity. God is fully aware that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed by both the evil we have done and the good we have left undone. And so when we confess our sins before God, we shouldn't try to hide a single thing. We shouldn't hold anything back, but we should lay it all on the line because God is aware of it all already. We should also come to God in repentance, trusting that God is willing to forgive us, that he wants to forgive us our sins and wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We should come trusting that he can forgive us as well, And he can do that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus lived the life, that perfect and sinless life that we cannot and have not lived. And he died bearing the sins of the entire world, paying the price for the sins of each and every one of us. 
so that we might be forgiven and redeemed and promised a glorious future. As we confess our sins, we should also be asking God to change our minds and hearts to make us more like Christ to make us changed in new people that desire God and desire to do His will so that we don't continue to walk in the same sins. You see, we should be asking for the joy that comes from knowing that we are God's redeemed children, that we are His people, so that we might live our lives in light of His mercy. As we now get ready to go to the Lord's table once again, we're going to have the opportunity to confess our sins together. But today we're going to do things slightly differently and we're also going to take a time of silent confession as well. And this will serve as an opportunity for us to use the confession of a David as a model for our own confession. So as you do, as you confess your sins before God, trust that God desires to forgive and that he can forgive because of Christ. Ask that God would make you new and more like Christ and ask that he would draw nearer to you in both word and sacrament. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this confession of David in Psalm 51. It serves as an example for us. Lord God, you know know our sin is that it is ever before you. Allow us to confess it freely. Lord, you can forgive and are willing because of Christ. Allow us to trust in that. And Lord, make us new. Make us into your people, we pray. In your holy name, amen.